0: hallelujah higher side chatters doing the thing from sunny san diego i'm greg carlwood and whether it's the hours sunk staring at the tv screen the endless scrolling of our phones over partying under exercising or slipping up on our diet We tend to know exactly what we need to be doing to be our best selves, but we struggle to stay committed and we convince ourselves that we're going to be turning over a new leaf any day now. And the commonality between the aforementioned failings is that they affect us slowly over time and we don't see the negative influence on ourselves until a pattern has really set in. But one of the easiest changes to make doesn't involve that much effort at all, and Lucky For Us can actually make the biggest impact on your health, motivation, energy levels, and cognitive function. And that is simply committing to an all-organic, non-GMO, non-glyphosate-soaked food supply. And despite what the producers of these foods and the captured regulatory agencies say, or how their paid-off media PR propaganda spin it, Like many things these days, the real science is pretty clear if you are willing to see past the sales pitch and take an honest look at the unbiased information we have after this decades-long experimentation on nature, the ecosystem, and humanity at large. Well, wouldn't you know it, today's guest Jeffrey Smith has been laser-focused on this issue for over 25 years now, and he knows the data well. He's the author of Seeds of Deception, exposing industry and government lies about the safety of the genetically engineered foods you're eating and Genetic Roulette, the documented health risks of genetically engineered foods, as well as being the founding executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology, the founder of the Protect Nature Now movement to safeguard the global microbiome and the man behind the Live Healthy Be Well podcast. He's also an award-winning filmmaker with Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle as well as Genetic Roulette, which was awarded Solari's Movie of the Year, and his latest documentary, Secret Ingredients, which features emotional stories of families who recovered from serious diseases after switching to organic food. The film links GMOs and Roundup herbicide to cancer, infertility, autism, Alzheimer's, allergies, skin conditions, digestive disorders, and other health conditions and motivates viewers to increase their commitment to organic. If you found out you were being slowly poisoned one drop at a time, how long would you keep letting it happen? Because you are and you do. Well, let's get into it. The corporate GMO critic, good food guru, and passionate advocate of the natural ways, Mr. Jeffrey Smith, my man, welcome to The Higher Side.
1: What an amazing introduction, Greg. Unbelievable.
0: Now I got to live up to it. (laughs) (laughs) All in a day's work, but thank you so much for being here. You are one of the greats on this issue. I think a lot of people listening know in the back of their minds they should be eating organic, but they just get lazy or they just want what's convenient right now. And we are conditioned to think that it's fine, but it's not fine. And I'm hoping we can really make the case to people today, because I don't think it's an overstatement to say that GMO, genetically engineered foods, glyphosate, and the effects from this corporate food science cabal are maybe the most important issues of our time that are doing the most damage to the greatest number of people. Would you agree?
1: I think it is one of the greatest health disasters of our time and I think that we can back that up with numbers. I've been collecting the data. There's a conspiracy of numbers that we are looking at from correlational data, causational pathways, clinical data, and what I'm really hoping is that your listeners add some data points of their own by switching to organic and seeing what happens, but I'll explain why. I think it takes a little time to convince people to make a change that while it seems easy it does mean switching out your brands sometimes depending on how you do it spending more money but the results are simply remarkable
0: mhm and you can't really compare real food to poison food it's not really a fair comparison it's a false equivalency i get this all the time about the increased cost and it's like, well, what are the, what's the cost of poisoning yourself slowly over time, you know?
1: Well, it's interesting in the film Secret Ingredients, where we follow families and individuals who switched from a regular food or even what they considered to be healthy to organic, the turnaround was stunning. We had people who were on the spectrum, kids were on the spectrum, no longer on the spectrum, dozens and dozens of infertile Couples having babies with 100% success rate in this one clinic, people with energy problems, weight problems, gut issues, cancer, skin issues, all these things. But as the doctors in the film, Secret Ingredients, said, these were not one-offs. These were not rare experiences. These were typical in their practices when they prescribed organic diets. And they even described how someone might lose their joint pain or autoimmune disease symptoms when they switch their diet. And then they'll cheat later on, go back to the previous diet, sometimes for just a short period of time, and they watch their symptoms come back, which makes it very convincing to their patients that it was diet related. And at the same time, we have doctors describing why GMOs and Roundup in our food and the non-organic food could be related to all of these diseases. And as we'll go through this today, I'm going to list maybe 40 different diseases and conditions that are linked to GMOs and Roundup. People may find theirs on there, and that might be extra motivation. Hmm. But I'll also say this, when you switch to organic, I recommend creating a daily diary of all of the symptoms and rated one to 10, plus your energy level, plus your mood, and the percentage of the food that's organic. Because you may want to switch organic because you've heard that it can affect seasonal allergies or help you lose weight or increase energy or clear your brain or improve concentration, or maybe you have a kidney disease or a mental disorder or diabetes or menstrual problems or hormonal problems. You may be looking for one thing, but unless you write down and pay attention to all the things that are going on, you may miss the fact that it actually changed and improved something that you never were aware was related to GMOs and Roundup. And we'll talk also about the science as to why these two particular culprits are so dangerous.
0: Mm, Great preview. And that's also important for people to know. You don't have to have some serious condition to start taking this seriously because a lot of it can be subtle. Mood, brain fog, irritability, energy levels, like you mentioned. These are things that if you don't think about them, it's hard to really quantify. That is why writing it down is important. But to talk a little bit more about that autism thing, man, this is just so incredible. Secret Ingredients, a really good watch. You have this footage of children before and after, and it's pretty mind-blowing because you're watching it right there on screen. These kids basically test out of being on the spectrum and seem to be living pretty normal lives, explain how that can be possible. Because a lot of people are conditioned to think that autism is like you get stamped with it and that's just your life now.
1: It's interesting, in the film, a pediatrician who's dealt with a lot of autistic kids, Michelle Perot, who has uh, been named America's top pediatricians many years in a row, she says that autism is curable in some cases, and sometimes it's only a change of diet, depending on how severe. Now, that's backed up with clinical experience, but it also has research data behind it. A friend of mine, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, a senior researcher at MIT, is an expert at finding patterns and causations and whatnot through big data. And she was determined to figure out what was responsible, using big data, for the outbreak in autism. So she downloaded all of the physiological changes and psychological changes, all that, from the research on the autistic spectrum and told me that she, at that time, could tell you exactly why an autistic child would have the particular symptoms Based on the changes in the physiology, but she couldn't figure out what the environmental insult was that caused those changes. So she had a very particular pattern she was looking for. And then she started looking at all of the data on every toxic chemical that she knew was in wide circulation. Every time she brought it down and compared, she did not find a match. It could not explain the changes until one day she went to a lecture by another friend of mine, Dr. Don Huber, a professor emeritus from Purdue, and he was an expert on Roundup and its chief poison, glyphosate. Stephanie said she sat at the edge of her seat for two hours because everything he said fit perfectly. Then she started investigating on her own, verifying the hand-in-glove relationship and was astonished to find also the correlational data. So she took the evidence, the prevalence of autism of six-year-olds, and compared it to the amount of glyphosate-based herbicides sprayed on soy and corn in the United States during the year of the prevalence and the previous three years. So it was an accumulation of exposure over four years. I'm looking at the chart now. Now, the correlation, the line between the glyphosate applied and the autism is nearly perfect. The R value is 0.9972. A perfect correlation is one. This is 0.9972. It was remarkable, remarkable how close it was. Now, the epidemiological data is correlation. But she had the goods on what the specific changes were in the physiology, and we now have some research showing that the incidence of autism is higher among families that are working in rural areas where glyphosate is used. But I've also spoken to many parents who've taken their kids off of GMO and Roundup-laden foods, putting them on organic, and it's been startling how predictable the outcome is. I talked to one woman who said her son was about 80% improved, and people would ask her, what have you done? And she said, I took him off of gluten, I took him off of dairy, and he's about 80% organic. And then she would tell the next person, my son is 80% improved. And they'd say, why? And she'd say, gluten-free, casein-free, and about 80% organic. After a few days, she started hearing herself, 80% recovered, 80% organic. Then she put the two together with kind of a shock and decided we need to go 100%. And sure enough, over the next few weeks, it closed the gap and it was virtually 100% improved. Mm. This is just one person. But I've spoken to many and especially the pediatricians who deal with many, the people who attend the lectures at Autism One conference with me or Stephanie Seneff or Kathleen DiChiaro, who's in the film Secret Ingredients with her boy who was on the spectrum and by the end is no longer on the spectrum. She's one of two families in that case. Wow. Now, of course, sometimes autistic people do not have that kind of recovery and Sometimes it's very interesting. I had a sixty-three-year-old come up to me in a lecture and say, I'm autistic, and I want to thank you because after I learned your recommendations and changed my diet, it allowed me to come to this lecture. And that was about 15 years ago. So I've been hearing these stories for a long time. And I can go into some of the plausible causative pathways between glyphosate and autism, and we'll discuss some of them. But what I'd rather do is go through the modes of action and link it to 30 or 40 different diseases Mm -hmm. so that we realize if it's not just for those trying to prevent or treat autism, it's for those that are living life.
0: Yes, yes. Well, let's do that. Let's hit those modes of action and those 40 different diseases. I'm sure people will find something that resonates with them.
1: All right. So I'm going to start with... The charts that Dr. Stephanie Seneff and uh, another colleague created and published in peer reviewed studies that show the relationship between either just glyphosate sprayed on soy and corn or also the amount of genetically engineered soy and corn grown in the United States. And that's correlated against the rise of diseases. So from gut issues, and it's interesting with gut issues, I asked people at about 150 lectures, what did you notice when you switched to non-GMO or largely organic foods? And people would raise their hand and tell me something, and I'd say, okay, how many people noticed this? The one symptom set that was the most prevalent was always digestive disorders. And this was not just in the 150 Audiences, but maybe a dozen or two of them were medical conferences where I speak. And I asked the practitioners to describe the changes in their practice. So they were representing one, two, three thousand patients each. And again, digestive problems was number one. When I eventually surveyed 3,256 people, asking them if they got better from the 28 different conditions that had been reported to me during these. Lectures, the number one most common result was digestive problems. But the number of people that responded was simply astounding. Of the 3,256 people, 85.2% said they improved in their digestion. And 80% of those, it was either a significant improvement, nearly gone, or completely recovered. So now I published a peer reviewed study. Giving not only the survey results, but all of the modes of action and what we knew about the impact of GMOs and Roundup and also something called BT toxin, which is produced in some of the GMOs and its effects on the digestion. So we could spend the whole hour talking about that, (laughs) but rather I'll just read you some of the research that correlates with. The slope of the rise with glyphosate or GMOs. One is inflammatory bowel disease, which is in huge proportions now, deaths from intestinal infection, and peritonitis. There's also other problems reported acid reflux, irritable bowel, bloating. All of these have been correlated. In addition, there's a lot of liver diseases. Associated. There was a study done where they gave a tiny amount of Roundup to rats in their drinking water. And this was parts per trillion and low parts per billion. And the rats developed a non alcoholic fatty liver disease. And it was clear it was caused by the Roundup. And there's about 30, maybe 35% of the US population has non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And those that have the more serious version of it, they all have, in this particular test, there was a substantial amount of glyphosate in the urine of the people with the disease. But those that had the more serious version of the disease had more glyphosate in their blood. I've seen pictures of really gnarly livers of rats that were fed soy, GM soy compared to those that were fed non-GM soy. And I interviewed a veterinarian who said that when he did an autopsy on a dead cow that had been eating Roundup-ready crops, it looked like a bomb went off in the liver. So if you look at liver disease correlations, we have deaths due to disorders of lipoprotein metabolism. We have liver and bile duct cancer. We have hepatitis C. The liver is the main detoxifier. And the detoxification pathways are hampered because of the mode of action of glyphosate. For those that are interested, the cytochrome P450 enzymes could be damaged. And so that means that all of the toxins that would normally leave through the pathway of the liver may stick around longer and be amplified. So it makes glyphosate kind of a a leader, a king of toxins. It does the same in the cells. There's an Nrf2 pathway that detoxes the cells, which is partially disabled in the presence of glyphosate. So again, the different toxins can damage the body. Now there's neurological disorders. We already discussed autism, but there's ADHD, Alzheimer's, deaths, Dementia diagnosis and deaths, Parkinson's disease deaths, anxiety, even suicide by overdose, and schizophrenia. Now, if we look at the mode of action that can cause it, there's several. There's a gut brain axis. We already talked about the digestive problems, there's problems with the gut bacteria that can lead to a lot of cognitive and neurodegenerative problems. And the gut bacteria is damaged by glyphosate, which is an antibiotic. And if you look at the changes that glyphosate causes in the gut bacteria, and I interviewed someone that looked at that in a research study, I went through the 28 different conditions that people reported getting better from, and he could explain the rise of every single one of those conditions based solely on the results of the change in the gut bacteria. And one of the changes in the gut bacteria is that it blocks the production by that gut bacteria of the precursors to serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. And these are happy chemicals, and without sufficient amounts, it can create cognitive disorders and other problems like Parkinson's that we've just discussed. There's also a link correlationally to celiac disease insomnia and sleep disorders. And for those that are familiar with melatonin, this is no wonder if there's a reduction in melatonin that governs circadian rhythms and sleep. There's also reproductive problems, including birth defects and all sorts of congenital heart defects and newborn metabolic disorders and genitourinary disorders. Lung conditions in in newborns, newborn eye disorders, newborn blood disorders. Diabetes is correlated with both GMOs in the food supply and Roundup. And deaths due to obesity, so some of the major diseases. There's also cancer. There are many reasons why GMOs and Roundup could be related to cancer. It can block the gap junctions between cells, which is the way cells communicate. And one study showed a 50% reduction in that. It also damages the sequence of the genome. It's genotoxic and also causes oxidative stress. It also creates leaky gut and leaky gut is linked to virtually all diseases that we've mentioned. And all the, you know, some think it's linked to all diseases, period. There's also a study that shows that glyphosate in the presence of a metabolite or a compound that's in the human body normally increases the growth of breast cancer tumors. And so if you look at just the rise of the different cancers, you see it rising in parallel with glyphosate, with breast cancer, with kidney and pelvic cancer, thyroid cancer, and deaths from myeloid leukemia. Acute myeloid leukemia, and we already mentioned liver cancer. And then there's deaths from hypertension, deaths from stroke, anemia, as well as skin disorders in all ages, except newborns, and then acute renal failure and death. There's a lot of connection between glyphosate and the kidneys, and also acute kidney injury as well as lymph disorder. So you can see that the particular diseases are numerous. And then if you look at the personal accounts as to what got better when people switched to organic or non-GMO and largely organic, it was digestive problems, fatigue, overweight, obesity, brain fog, anxiety and depression, food allergies and sensitivities, and I'm above 50% response. Then we get to memory and concentration, joint pain, allergies, gluten sensitivity, insomnia, skin conditions, hormonal problems, musculoskeletal pain, autoimmune disease, high blood pressure. Many of these same ones, and I won't finish the list, there are many of the same ones that have been reported with these epidemiological charts. But when you feed the animals in research labs, Roundup, or GMOs, They often suffer from these diseases, or moreover, the precursors, because the studies are typically short-term. When you take animals, pets, and livestock off of GMOs, sometimes put on an organic diet, you see these type of changes as well. So we have plausible causative pathways, and I've only mentioned a few. There's a damage to the neurotransmitters, the hormone, the mitochondria, the gut bacteria, the leaky gut, the inability to absorb minerals. These are just some of them. And then there's the evidence in the laboratories. And then there's the clinical research from what doctors tell us. They're astounded at the results when they get from their patient population when they start suggesting an organic diet.
0: Hmm. Yes. Great summary. So many different effects from this. And I have even heard you say that a lot of the times food allergies and gluten intolerance are actually allergies and intolerance to the altered foods that might not be there potentially with the unaltered foods if they were to uh, just go for the natural organic versions of whatever they seem to be getting triggered by. But I also wanted to ask you about intention, and just this idea that it isn't really an unfortunate accident, right? I mean, how much did these companies know, and how early did they know it?
1: I talked to a former Monsanto scientist. Monsanto is the biggest GMO producer. They're now owned by Bayer, so Monsanto officially doesn't exist, except in our nightmares memories. Mm -hmm. I talked to a former Monsanto scientist who said that his colleagues had done research feeding rats genetically engineered corn, and noticed some significant health issues in the rats. Instead of withdrawing the corn, they rewrote the study to hide the effects. Now, this particular scientist was very concerned about the fact that this was a short-term study. Monsanto typically uses 90 days maximum. He was also aware that the maximum amount of Corn fed to the rats was far less than, for example, the humans in South Africa and Southern Africa, which eat corn as a staple three times a day. Monsanto typically feeds a maximum of one third of the diet to their rats as their genetically engineered corn. And people in Africa could be eating corn up to 70%, and in some cases, 90% of their diets in times of famine. So he told me he was very concerned about the impact on the Africans, knowing that the rats had serious disease problems or health problems in just three months. So it's an interesting follow-up. I was speaking to a veterinarian in the United States, and one of his clients was a South African farmer. And the South African farmer was complaining about the diseases that were experienced by his cows and pigs. He was losing money. He had low milk production, problems with walking and, and their legs. And the pigs were like biting each other's tails and had Alzheimer's symptoms, etc. So he told them all these things to do. And the guy said, just tell me one thing. And he said, never feed your animals GMOs again. So what this South African farmer did is he switched his corn that he was growing on the farm to non-GMO. And when it came up, he started feeding his animals non-GMO. And sure enough, the problems went away. And then he ran out of the corn because he hadn't planted enough for year-round feed, started buying feed from the marketplace, and the problems returned until he was able to plant enough for year-round non-GMO corn. But what the veterinarian told me was that the workers on the farm, and he needed 50, but he had hired 60, 20% more because so many of them were sick all the time. Headaches, flu-like symptoms, really bad colds, inflammation. And many were down with sickness. He was spending a lot of money in medicines. But the farmer told the veterinarian that about once or twice a month, he'd be talking to one of his workers and noticed that the eyes were not tracking right. They weren't moving in parallel. And from his experience, he knew that that person would be dead within one or two days. Hmm. And this was going on for a while, and he had no idea why. The workers were eating the same corn as the cows. So when he switched the cows' corn to non gmo the workers were eating now non-GMO corn and their symptoms cleared up until he ran out of the corn. So the worry by the former Monsanto scientists appears to have been validated by a group that was eating more GMO food perhaps than nearly anyone in the world. Maybe the other, only other comparisons would be other South African farms where they would eat 100% GMO corn from the farm because they eat a lot of corn as a staple and they weren't mixing it with the non-GMO corn as they typically do in the marketplace. So the other thing is that Monsanto was very aware of all sorts of problems with both GMOs and Roundup and ventured to cover it up and attack scientists that found out problems and to attack reporters that reported on it. And I've written about this in my books, Seeds of Deception and Genetic roulette and spoken about it in 45 countries. And it came out with such graphic detail in the recent Roundup trials, where three sets of juries agreed that the four plaintiffs' non Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer contributed to or caused by using Monsanto's Roundup. Now, during the course of the trials, they were learning about how Monsanto became aware of problems and covered it up. They hired one of the world's best experts at genotoxicity who said, yes, it does look like glyphosate is a carcinogen and you need to do these studies to see if the full roundup formulation is. And they didn't do the studies. They hid the evidence that this guy had put together, which was illegal. And then they ghost wrote a review paper with the exact opposite conclusions and submitted that to regulators around the world. They had used completely fraudulent studies at a laboratory where the executives actually went to jail because it was so fraudulent. And one of those executives happened to be from Monsanto who went over to that lab to help conduct the Monsanto studies. And an example of how a Monsanto scientist does Monsanto science was made clear in the trial. And I've been studying this for a long time and I've written up all ways in which they have been caught red-handed, but no one seems to pay attention. Mm -hmm. But this is one of my favorites. In order to get their Roundup approved, they had to test the absorption level on human skin. So I think they typically would take, as they others have, human cadaver skin and apply Roundup and see how much gets absorbed. And they were dismayed because about 10% got absorbed and that's way above, over three times the amount of legal, legal determinant for absorption. So they hid that evidence illegally from the EPA and instead took new cadaver skin and baked it in an oven. Then they froze it. Then they applied the Roundup to this leather-like frozen human skin and found hardly any got absorbed. Hmm. And That's what they reported to the FDA. And I've pointed out, like with bovine growth hormone, which was their genetically engineered cow drug to increase milk supply, they had a similar research that showed that discounted problems by over-pasteurizing the milk 120 times longer, all these things that they did. And it turns out the former Monsanto scientist told me that when three of his colleagues were testing the milk from cows treated with the company's genetically engineered drug, they found so much cancer promoting hormone in the milk, the three Monsanto scientists refused to drink milk after that unless it was organic and one bought his own cow. So, did they know about the problems? Absolutely. Did they try and cover them up? Absolutely. And it so angered jurists that the juries awarded huge punitive damages, including one jury. $2 billion, which got lowered quite substantially. Another one, $250 million, because they were so angry at how Monsanto rigged their research and purposely caused damage to the people that they were feeding and as customers.
0: Mm. Another great summary, and that was one of my favorite parts of your book, Genetic Roulette, is just seeing all these ways that they do tilt the science and studies to get the results that make things look safe that aren't. I mean, one of the things that's just mind-blowing is the idea of trying to get a court order to seal safety studies for 50 or 100 years. That seems to be a common practice these days in the corporate science world. But a couple of other things would be using highly variable animal starting weights to hinder detection of food-related changes, to keep feeding studies short to miss long-term impacts, Mm -hmm. to use too few subjects to derive statistically significant results, and to use rigged or irrelevant control groups. And those are just a few of the things they do that show intention and show that you know, this wasn't just an honest mistake, they were pushing this stuff through regardless, and they were gonna do whatever they had to do on paper to make it look right, and that's just so nuts. I mean, it's so bold of them to do, but I guess if you've captured the regulatory agencies and you've got the media talking heads to endorse you, it's not that risky.
1: Well, it's true, they did have their own people in the regulatory seats. That was clear in the EPA and the FDA and the USDA. But it's also the case in India, in Europe, and the UK, in Brazil, Argentina. Where I travel, I often learn about the makeup of these approval committees and how completely stacked they are by the biotech industry. And there's usually a ministry that is bought out, and there's often a an agricultural association, a farm group, that's basically bought out, receiving money from their handlers and unable to, they have to toe the line and promote the GMO myths. So it is true, uh, Greg, that that was one of the funnest things for me to write in Genetic Roulette, the ways in which they rigged research. Another one of my favorites is they claimed to the authorities in Australia and New Zealand that their high lysine corn has a protein, a new protein in it that has a history of safe use in the food supply because it's naturally found in soil. And so because of that, it didn't need to be tested whatsoever. So my friend Jack Heinemann calculated how much of that protein would, if an average male American eating the average amount of corn per day was eating just Monsanto's high lysine corn, how much of that protein would he be eating and how much soil would he have to consume as a comparator? Because remember, you didn't have to test it because it's in the soil. Well, in order to have the same amount of that protein in your diet, he calculated you'd have to eat 22,000 pounds of soil every second of the day. Wow. <laughs> It's bizarre science. It's checkbook science. It's Monsanto science.
0: Right. I like that. Nice tag. And a lot of this stuff sounds pretty severe. I mean, you've mentioned a whole bunch of some of the most debilitating conditions people can have. But what do you say to people who might think, well, I eat fast food all the time, been doing it my whole life. People who live in these Suburban food deserts, and they really don't have a lot of other options. And they say, Well, I'm totally fine. Like all through high school and college, I ate like trash, and none of these conditions ever really affected me. So I'm sure some people might look at their own experience and be inclined to think some of these concerns are overblown. What do you say to those people?
1: Obviously, there's going to be people that hear all of this and decide it's not for them, whether they are feeling healthy. Or just lucky, or they're attached to their junk food. (laughs) I would say my first encouragement is try it for two, three weeks. It's an investment of time and attention. And do the little symptom survey we talked about and see what changes. You see, in the survey that I did with over 3,000 people, 52% said that they had improvements from brain fog. Now, if you are experiencing brain fog every day, it may be your normal, your default. You may not realize what it's like to have a clear mind. And in the film, Secret Ingredients, David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain and Brain Maker, talks about how the brain uses 25% of the energy And the energy is produced from the mitochondria and the mitochondria get damaged from glyphosate. So when you stop consuming glyphosate, you have more energy and your brain then can have more clarity. But 60.4% of the people we surveyed showed improvements over fatigue, more energy. And when I combined them, the two reduced more energy and reduced brain fog, and asked 150 audiences how many people noticed that, it was always the second below digestive problems. So these are quality of life, memory and concentration, 48%. You may not think that your memory and concentration are off par, but if you switch, you may end up joining these nearly half of the people surveyed saying it got better. You may think your sleep is fine with a certain amount of wakefulness, it might get better, as 33% said that their insomnia situation improved. Now, some of these diseases are long-term forming, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancers, etc., and there may be a cumulative effect. But I also want to say that once you've made the switch, and if you do it intelligently, you do it with help perhaps from others who are already eating organic and doing it efficiently and effectively and less expensively than, than you might when you just start, it's actually easy to do. But where it may cost you more money is if you just switch over to the same processed foods that you're eating now and just make the organic step, you may want to learn to cook. But even if you end up spending more money, when you think about food, you have a food budget. Add your health budget. And for those that are environmentally and health-minded for the world, add also your philanthropy budget, because you're contributing to a healthier world and also healthier farmers and farm workers, mm. which we can talk about. So in any case, whatever the excuse is, give it a shot for a few weeks, see what happens, see if it makes a change, pay attention, take notes. And then you've tried it. It could be the most important move of your life, or it could be a non-starter. Everyone's different.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you were a super genius and never knew it because you never were running on optimal systems. And, you know, a part of this problem with the scientific approach in general here seems to be the basic premise that genes are like Lego blocks, and you can just slide out some code and replace it with some new code. And... This is kind of a faulty premise being used in several sectors of science, but just speak to us about how wrong that is philosophically and and practically, too.
1: You know, I'm going to introduce a new thing. You've read Genetic Roulette, which was put out before gene editing came out, and the myths that were propagated by the biotech industry was that genetic engineering was precise and predictable and safe. And they claimed it was over-regulated, even though it's vastly under-regulated. Well, now we know without compromise that it is not safe, it is not predictable, and it's under-regulated. So they're coming out with GMOs 2.0, which is gene editing. Say, oh, it's not even a GMO. We don't take genes necessarily from other species and put them in. We just use gene editing to rearrange or cut out certain sequences in a laboratory? Well, in both the cases of the traditional gene genetic engineering and in gene editing, the process creates massive collateral damage. Hundreds or thousands of genes can be mutated. Large sections can be deleted, reversed, copied onto the chromosomes. Chromosomes can shatter in this new gene editing. In fact, One doctor, Jonathan Latham, who was a genetic engineer, said that the gene editing appears to be more problematic and more dangerous than the traditional. So this concept that it's safe and predictable, they get off of that quickly and start immediately talking about the benefits. And they can have better health and more nutrients and save water and feed the people. None of those actually... Are true. So those are also myths being propagated. But all of those are really inconsequential when you realize that the process of genetic engineering causes all this damage. Now, one scientist who I wrote about in the first chapter of my book, Seeds of Deception, Arpad Pustai, who just passed away in December last year, he discovered, and at the time, the most comprehensive study ever conducted on genetic engineering. He discovered that the generic process of genetic engineering is so disruptive, it's so not Lego-like, that within 10 days of his rats eating supposedly healthy GMO potatoes, they developed potentially precancerous cell growth in the digestive tract, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, and damaged immune system. And it was the process of genetic engineering, not the particular engineered trait in the potatoes that caused these problems. And he realized that the same process that he used to create the potatoes is what's been used to create the GMOs on the market. But the research done on GMOs on the market is so superficial and flimsy, it would never discover these very serious problems that he discovered in his rats. Well, short story was when he went public, he was fired from his job after 35 years silenced with threats of a lawsuit. Eventually, the gag order was lifted by an order of parliament. He published his data, and it remains an indictment of the safety of GMOs. Typically, any scientist that discovers problems as attacked, including Dr. Seralini, a French toxicologist, who found that both the Roundup Ready corn and Roundup independently and together caused multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage in the rats over two years that he was working with. So there's a lot of evidence now that this stuff is dangerous, and it's not just the particular intended change, although that can be dangerous, it's also the unintended effects.
0: Right, you list so many in Genetic Roulette that these transgenes are just unstable. Sometimes they rearrange over time. They can create more than one protein weather, environmental stresses and genetic disposition can significantly change gene expression. There is no one size fits all kind of approach here and GMO 2.0 is a great term for the things I'm really concerned about in the future and the present really, but this CRISPR stuff, a lot of people are talking about how we'll just engineer human beings from the ground up however they want to be like going from the food just to the person themselves. And they're talking about it like it is some miracle thing. But of course they're using CRISPR technology also on food to produce like non-browning apples as if just an apple turning brown is the problem. And as long as it looks good on the surface, it must be perfectly fine. And we have GMO salmon that apparently was just approved in some areas and and that seems to be a, a unique problem in its own. Right. And then I guess I would also ask you about this lab made meat trend, the impossible burger and all this stuff that's popping up. I guess the next decade seems like it's going to be GMO on steroids. And I'm just really concerned about these things that are going to be coming out and these future problems. And we already have so much to deal with.
1: Yeah, it turns out after 25 years of focusing on the health dangers of GMOs and Roundup, our Institute for Responsible Technology and my focus has pivoted to warn the world and make actual policy changes in around the world on GMO 2.0. I'm happy to talk about the impossible burger and all of those things, but there's, and I think we should talk about the impossible burger, but I want to put it into the context of a bigger issue. And that is, first of all, gene editing is now so cheap and easy. You can do it in your own basement with a do-it-yourself kit for 169 dollars. For one or 2,000, you can have a little lab that you can create new organisms every day. What we're talking about is a potential assault on nature of unprecedented proportions where we could replace nature in this generation. Of all the different kingdoms that are at risk, the most is the microbiome, the microbials. We know from the pandemic, and we didn't need a pandemic to know, that microbes travel and can mutate and wreak havoc. Most people don't know that microbes can also swap genes. So if you release a genetically engineered microbe with a gene in an Arkansas field to improve soil, that gene may end up in the guts of children on the other side of the world, in the atmosphere, in the Sahara Desert. And the microbiome, the microbial Ecosystem is essential for human and environmental health and has evolved and co evolved with their hosts and the ecosystems for billions of years. If you introduce a genetically engineered variety and it meets certain conditions as it survives in the environment, it could be cataclysmic. In the film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, which is at the website protectnaturenow.com. It's just 16 minutes, but it's an alarm bell that you may not forget. It talks about one genetically engineered microbe that was almost released that if it had met certain conditions biologically, it may have ended terrestrial plant life. Another one may have altered weather patterns on Earth permanently. So these are microbes that have been genetically engineered. By well intentioned scientists using state of the art information that was simply not taking into account the nature of nature. And because we now have the potential for millions upon millions of genetically engineered microbes, new ones and different ones to be created over this generation by virtually every future high school laboratory, by home tinkerers, by major corporations, by governments, we are basically rolling the dice with our future. So we at the Institute for Responsible Technology and at Protect Nature Now are building a whole new movement. And so I recommend not only when you go to the Protect Nature Now homepage, you'll see right on the left, the 16-minute film, and you'll see right above you a donate button. So please make a recurring donation of any amount that you can afford even a dollar or five dollars, whatever you can offer, so that we know it's coming and can start hiring and creating more assets and opening offices around the world. It's a multi-million dollar effort that we're architecting and it's something that deserves support because it the future of humanity and all living beings are at stake.
0: Yes, yes. You are doing really impressive things across the board. You do more in a day than I do all week. And uh, I'm just kind of in awe of your dedication and your passion. And it's like there is money and abundance in the natural ways for the farmer, for the rancher, and for the customer, but you just can't patent it, package it, and export it. And that is the problem. And and maybe it says something fundamentally about our model and uh, some things that might need to shift. The other thing, Greg, is that
1: Reaching farmers has always been particularly tough. I remember back in 2002, I gave a lecture on GMO dangers in Iowa, and someone came up to me and said, I'm a writer. I write for a farm journal, and I'd love to interview and figure out an article I can do and maybe freelance it for somewhere else. I said, what about the farm journal? She says, they'd never allow that. The biggest advertisers are the GMO companies and the seed companies, which are the same thing. So it's hard to reach them because the agricultural extension agents work at land-grant universities that have funding from the biotech industry, so they become basically extensions of the chemical and biotech industry in their recommendations. Farm media is generally bought and paid for. And in addition to getting the wrong information, they're also preemptively Insulated from people like me. They call those of us who are asking for more science anti science. Right. You know, so we are already facing a disinformation campaign that marginalizes us before we open our mouths. And that's one reason why I haven't focused on educating farmers in my 25 years as a non GMO activist. I focused on consumers whose choices will filter back to farmer choices when major food companies start eliminating the GMO ingredients in order to maintain market share. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now with GMO microbes and GMO 2.0, we're forced to focus on government laws. But I know from personal experience, laws can change and regimes can change. I was flown to Poland once by the Polish government and gave a press conference with the minister of environment. Praising their non GMO position. And a week later, a pro GMO government was voted into play. So we have to not just get new laws, both domestic and international treaties. We need popular culture to pick this up. We need academia to have it in curriculum and policies. Everyone in the world needs to know that we've arrived at this inevitable time in human civilization where we can redirect the streams of evolution for all time and that that gives a demand, as you say, to become stewards of nature, to protect nature. So now that we're coming out of the pandemic and we see the impact of microbes, that may be the easiest set of laws we can create. So again, I recommend that people go to protectnaturenow.com, watch the film, don't let the gene out of the bottle, and then please make a recurring donation so that we can have wind under our sails. We're a very small organization and we've had a huge impact in the world. That was tirelessly. 25 years I've been working. For 13 of them, I traveled six to nine months a year in 45 countries. We don't have the luxury of another 25 years. We've got to get this done more quickly. We've got to raise the money and build the staff and reach the people whose livelihoods and work and missions depend on a healthy microbiome, which includes regenerative agriculture, which includes environment, which includes oceans, which includes human health, invasive species, even national security. All of these depend on protecting the microbiome. So we have our our work cut out for us and we'd love help from your listeners. (laughs)
0: Look at that, what a pro. It's like you've done this before. (laughs) You see where we are on the clock, you know it's wrapping up. But yes, just such amazing stuff today. Your knowledge base is super impressive. And as you kind of touched on there, we are in a transitional period in society. So much is happening. It seems like we're getting a full court press from so many different directions. And my hope is that we can have a counter reaction and build a a better world rather than uh, the one that seems to be attempting to be foisted on us. And a lot of the things you're talking about are crucial in that. And just before we really do call it in, I mean, you got so many things going on. The books, the films, the podcasts, the Institute for Responsible Technology, the 90-Day Upgrade Program. What more should we say just in closing about carrying this forward beyond just this interview we're doing and actually trying to make an impact? Because as you said, letting the market decide was a good idea when it came to the food sector. But when it comes to releasing unnatural things in our environment, that really isn't related to the consumer at all. So we probably need a different course of action in that regard. But yeah, just uh, wrap it up with the old uh, support pitch. Okay.
1: First of all, a lot of people kind of got wide-eyed about the list of diseases and how to avoid them and all that. So let me just tell people, organic foods do not allow the use of GMOs and Roundup. Non-GMO products can still have Roundup because Roundup is sprayed on some non-GMO products right before harvest. So organic is better. I explain to people in a 90-day lifestyle upgrade how to end up being a successful organic eater. We start with the film Secret Ingredients. If you go to livehealthybewell.com, you can see the film Secret Ingredients, which will be the big motivator for, it is already, for people to become more organic than they ever have, and then to help people find ways to save money and save time and learn about new brands and keep motivated, we have the 90-Day Lifestyle Upgrade. Uh, also at LiveHealthyBeWell.com, we have healing from GMOs in Roundup with experts telling what people can do to help recover for build, rebuild, repair, detox. And so that's at LiveHealthyBeWell.com. At ResponsibleTechnology.org, that's kind of the mothership for our nonprofit. And there you can get a list of products that are GMO to avoid, um, What Derivatives are there so that you can look out on ingredients if you don't buy organic, as well as a list of the products that are sprayed with Roundup and what levels are sprayed. So that's a quick reference and has a lot of information. For our new focus on protecting the microbiome, protectnaturenow.com. So responsibletechnology.org, protectnaturenow.com, livehealthybewell.com. The Institute for Responsible Technology also has a Facebook page and an Instagram, and we have 125,000 people right now actively on our Facebook. Instagram is growing. Please help us there by becoming a follower. And once again, I have had the great benefit of being supported in this activity. When I first started the Institute was when I published my book, Seeds of Deception, And I didn't have enough money to pay myself, so I did it pro bono and just survived on book sales and speaker fees. But, you know, there's a certain life cycle to books, so we had to pay ourselves a little bit to keep going. And now I can say that it's been the supporters of our institute that has allowed me to do my work without having to worry. And not only covering my salary, but We're creating films and we're creating, we have a team and we have all sorts of plans now to protect nature from the onslaught of GMO 2.0. And we don't have a regular source of income sufficient to meet our needs of expansion. So I would love it if people liked our message and wanted to support us, share this podcast and share whatever you get by signing up for our newsletter or my podcast or our Facebook posts, please help get the word out because we are at this inevitable time in human civilization and we need to have a a new definition for humanity. And it starts individually. If we think that, oh, this is all someone else's problem and they'll take care of it, that's the epidemic behind all of the inputs of GMOs. Countries think they don't have to face it because the FDA has already looked at it. The FDA says we don't have to do test safety studies because Monsanto will do it. And Monsanto's studies are rigged or non-existent. It's similar that for so many areas, we have been trained to give away our power and authority to schools, to doctors, to media, to governments. And that creates the vulnerability for us to be manipulated by the corporations. So one of the most important things is to take back our position. Instead of being the victim, be the victor. And that starts with our own food. So we choose what we consider food and not what Monsanto claims and is enforced by their wing in Washington. Then we go with our information that we share. We may not have the time to spend a lot of time on this, but there may be people in your social media networks that will not only spend time sharing this, but you may save the life or health of their family. So it's worth participating in as a team member and certainly as a donor if you can afford any amount on a regular basis. So that's my call to action today. And I also want to say, Greg, that you are remarkably well prepared. I am so excited about the knowledge base that your audience has, Hmm. because you, from my experience that I've had, which is just this two hours, you do the research, you get informed, you ask the questions. And because we had two full hours to talk, I shared stories that I haven't shared in years. Some I haven't shared at all Hmm. because I don't need to be lightweight in it because you're not being lightweight and I'm matching you in that. (laughs) So thank you for being that source of information for your listeners.
0: I very much appreciate it. And yeah, this has been really excellent. You you spoke about the income thing. And, you know, just one thing I wanted to throw out there is I would love to see people be half as critical of those making their money breaking nature and participating in the damage as they tend to be the income of those trying to do noble, positive things. There's always such a criticism And it's like no we should be able to thrive and work on the good team and uh it's just it's weird how the balance is is off there when we are criticizing why a person is advocating for what they advocate for but yeah you have been at it a long time and you are such a big part of the changing tide so kudos to you i do consider this one of the most important issues of our time It's not as sexy or extreme as some of the other things we talk about around here. But if we don't have our health and we let these people wreck the natural systems beyond repair, what's left? So big thanks, man. Keep fighting the good fight and take care out there.
1: Thank you so much and safe eating, everyone. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with, or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.